Glad to see you back, friend. Christmas Eve, and here we are, ready to work. No knocking off early at Casa de Blood. The show must go on. All right, Chester, you can come too. No messing with the Christmas lights. Fried gator is a thing, you know, and it ain't that tender. Come on in, everyone. Mmm. Okay, so tonight we welcome back our old pal, Ryan Harville, and he... Uh, may I? Uh, sure, Jeff. Ryan Harville, a talent, a father, a veteran. He's defended your freedom. He's given us 15.6 hours of free entertainment. Yeah, I really did add that up. So what do you get a man like that for Christmas? A fruitcake? Come on. He's got a brand new book up for pre-order called Red Rains Down. Check the show notes for a link, or search Red Rains Down on Amazon, you'll find it. And just for you guys, he's discounted the book from $8.99 to $6.99 for this weekend only. Ryan's been with us since the beginning. He used to write a story a week for me when I first started out. Can you believe that? My God. He's an animal. If you'd pre-order Red Rains Down, we'd all appreciate it. Delivered to your Kindle January 13th. And stick around after the show because he's given away another book for free. And we're going to tell you how to grab it. Does the man's magnanimousness know any bounds? Jeff says that about anyone who gives him free shit. I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. Even though it's true. Well, smoke them if you've got them and drink those glasses to the bottom, y'all. Because old Drew Blood has a Christmas tale to tell. Ha ha. him out all. Howdy, you're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu and sign up today. You'll get instant access to the whole kit and caboodle, including millions of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012. Ready to throw your hat in the ring, authors? Send your stories to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, shit, you'll get the full treatment. All right. The first story in this series came December of 2020, and it wasn't until a year later that we realized it was ongoing. And now, in 2022, I give you, by that word Smith and Beast we all know and love as Ryan Harville, for goodness sake, part three. Um, hello? Uh, I feel like an idiot. I don't know why I'm recording this other than he asked me to. He said it was important to keep a record of everything because, in his words, one day you might be so old you forget. Like, really old. Absolutely ancient. I didn't know what the hell that was supposed to mean, so I just took him at his word. The man is crude, and I haven't heard such foul language since I retired from the army. But he's just so wholesome that I trust him. God knows why, but I do. So, he said record this, and that's what I'm doing. All right, I guess the best place to start is the beginning. I had only been back in Alabama for a couple of weeks, maybe, and was living in my dad's house in Mobile. He died a few years back, and the house had been sitting empty. I paid the property management company to keep the lawn looking good and to make monthly checks, but 
I could never bring myself to sell the place. So when I retired after my 20 was done, I moved back home at 39 years old. It was the second week of December, a Sunday morning, and I was lying awake in bed. Clock on my cell phone said 0300 and some change. I'd been having trouble staying asleep, no idea why. Guess I was still settling in. The first noise I heard I brushed off, thinking maybe it was outside at a neighbor's house or something. But the following sound was unmistakable. Someone had just opened and closed my fridge. I sat up slowly and swung my legs out from under the covers. As quietly as I could, I slid open the top drawer of my nightstand and pulled out my gun safe. I placed my thumb over the fingerprint reader and the safe clicked open. By the time I reached my bedroom door, I already slid the clip in and chambered around. I took one quick look down the hall just enough to make sure no one was there, then swung my pistol up and made my way to the kitchen. The fridge's door stood open, spilling light onto the floor, but no one was there. I double-checked the corners, then under the table. Nothing. I walked around the counter and into the living room. There was a guy sitting on my couch, drinking one of my beers. He noticed me and smiled, the expression seeming to lift his entire bearded face. Oh, shit, he said, placing the half-empty bottle down on the coffee table. Did I wake you? Sorry about that, truly. I was just going to chill out here for a bit, then maybe cook you up some breakfast, but you ain't got much in the way of food in there. Can't make a whole lot with just beer and soy sauce. Well, not by themselves anyway. But if you had some chicken... Both hands up. Don't fucking move. You move, I shoot. Got it? He looked genuinely perplexed as he stood and raised his hands. I said don't move. Hey, hey now. Take it easy. I don't mean no harm and didn't mean to frighten you. I can come back in a little bit if that works better for you. My mind was in overdrive, noting the details. He looked to be somewhere in his mid-fifties, maybe sixty. I stood a good five inches taller than him, so I put him at about five foot ten. He wore black work boots, jeans, and a red flannel shirt that was open to expose his t-shirt beneath. A nondescript baseball cap was on top of his head white hair hanging from beneath it. His silver-white beard flowed down to his chest, but his eyes, his goddamn eyes, that's what stopped me in my tracks. They were pale blue, like the color of a glacier you'd see in a nature documentary. They were kind and, and wild. Does that make any sense? I haven't thought about it since then. He reminded me of Buster Scruggs. He looked like his good-natured expression hit a thinly-veiled threat. It made me want to squeeze the trigger and run away at the same time. Who are you and what do you want? He took the hat from his head and made a kind of salute with it. I am Peter Lynch, also known as Rudolph, or Rudy to my friends. But right now, right now I'm the living, breathing embodiment of Christmas. I shook my head. Jesus, man, how high are you? Is it meth? Crack? God damn it, I always thought this was a nice neighborhood. He laughed, the sound as bright as church bells. <laughs> Come on, look at me. Big white beard, twinkle in my eye, breaking into people's houses in the middle of the night. Any of this sounding familiar? You think you're... I am. Santa Claus. In the flesh, friend, he said, then sat back down. Look, man, 
I don't know what you're on, but give me a chance to explain, okay? Two minutes, that's it. Then if you want me to leave, I'll haul ass out of here. I didn't know if he was crazy or high, but I didn't want to shoot a man dead in my living room for either of those reasons. So I nodded. Thank you kindly. Now, as I said, I was Peter until I was recruited by Nick White, the Santa before me, to be his partner and navigator. Hence why I was also Rudolph, get it? We went around the country every winter dealing out justice and vengeance in equal measure to all kinds of low-life scum who needed coal in their stocking, or eye socket, depending on how much they'd done fucked up. In between visits to assholes on the naughty list, I got us gigs at local malls so Nick could get near a bunch of children and find out from them where the naughty adults were. Clear so far? He talked so fast, it honestly wouldn't have been clear even if the story had made any damn sense. So wait, you two were like some kind of mall sent of vigilantes? His eyebrows drew together in frustration. Well, yeah, but you're just glossing over all the magic and shit when you say it like that. Magic, I asked, but I was actually trying to think of a way to get my phone from the bedroom to call someone to pick up his crazy ass. You see, every winter our power is the strongest, so that's when we do most of our hunting. And the magic comes from Polaris, the North Star, who isn't a star, but still is a star. Wait, yeah, you're right. This does sound crazy now that I'm saying it all out loud. No, please, go on, I said, buying time. It's interesting. I can see now why Nick just didn't dump all this into my lap at once. Uh, anyway, all of this is to say, I need your help. My help? Why would you need me when you got Polaroid? Polaris. Yeah, that. He sighed and slid down further until he was half lying on the couch. This ain't going exactly the way I'd hoped. When Nick recruited me, I was, I don't know, excited. But you... You're just staring at me like I've lost my goddamn mind. I didn't argue. Okay, let's try this. You stop pointing the gun at me and have a seat. That ain't gonna happen until I get the police here. We both know you're not gonna shoot me, Marcus. But uh, how do you know my name? I know a lot about you. I am Santa, if you haven't noticed. Staff Sergeant Marcus Johnson retired from the U.S. Army after 20 years as a combat medic. Most of that time attached to a special forces unit. Two tours in Iraq, two in Afghanistan. I shivered. Uh, it felt like a snake was crawling up my back. I don't know why you'd bother to look any of that up just to break into my house. He shook his head. I know why you never made it to Sergeant First Class. I know what happened on your last deployment. Bullshit, I said, sweat breaking out on my forehead. Local tribe leader with a harem of very, very young boys. You ran it up the chain, but the brass wasn't biting. In their eyes, it wasn't their problem. Outside of the scope of the mission, right? You don't know what you're talking about. But unfortunately for both of us, I do, he said and stood up, his eyes cold and bright. You snuck outside the wire one night and put that monster down. Or, as we say in my line of work, gave that motherfucker his lump of coal. Brass was none too pleased, afraid of an international incident. You were demoted, detached from your group, and put behind the desk until you retired. That about sum it up? I shook my head. How do you know all that? Haven't you been listening? Fine, I didn't want to bring this up so soon, but here we are. This isn't the first time we've met. What? I've never laid eyes on you. 
You were a young boy, wearing a white coat like a doctor, a stethoscope around your neck. Shut up, I said. My voice sounded small. My mind felt like it had a cramp, as if it was trying to collapse in on itself. A scared boy, taken from his family and hid away in a church by wolves in sheep's clothing. Shut the fuck up, I cried, my finger tightening on the trigger. But you were rescued. Tell me, Marcus, who was it that saved you? Tears spilled down my cheeks as I thought about that day. A day I'd spent decades trying to forget. Santa Claus, I said, feeling defeated. Santa saved me. That was my good buddy Nick. And if you'll remember the shorter and less intimidating man who was there with him, that was me. And just like that, I did remember. You, you had a gun. Told the pastor to stay where he was while I talked to Santa. While I asked him. I couldn't finish the sentence. My words dissolved into sobs. Rudy stepped closer to me and gently took the gun from my loose grip, then set it down on the couch. He hugged me and I cried harder because I couldn't remember the last time I'd cried at all. You asked Nick not to tell your daddy what had happened to you. Rudy whispered, You thought you'd be in trouble, that it was your fault. But believe me when I tell you, Marcus, that your daddy loved you no matter what. I nodded, then broke away from the hug, feeling ridiculous. I wiped the tears from my face. So, I said, then cleared my throat. <clears throat> what do you want from me? He smiled again. That's the spirit. I want you to become my Rudolph. Well, I'm kind of partial to that name now, but you can pick any other reindeer name. You want me to what? Be your sidekick? Don't think about it like that. Think about it as more of an unpaid internship. Look, we both know you ain't got much going on around here. You haven't bothered looking for a job, no family, or friends to speak of. Looks to me like you're waiting on something. And maybe this is it. I ignored that last part. Why would you even need a sidekick? If I believe this story, then you've got some kind of magic. Yes, indeed. But I could use someone with your skills. I've always been more of a barroom brawl type of fella. Nick was the war vet. Yeah? Which war? Civil, Rudy said plainly. It was my turn to laugh. <laughs> You're telling me that the man I met when I was a kid 30 years ago was over 100 years old? 150, give or take. Jesus Christ. Don't go bringing God into this. Things will just get more confusing. What? No, never mind. I don't even want to know. Rudy clapped his hands. Shit! Got so wrapped up in the reunion that I almost forgot. He reached down behind the coffee table and brought up a gift-wrapped box, bow and all. This is for you. Consider it an early Christmas present. I raised an eyebrow at him. What's in it? I open it and find out. It had better not be a severed head or something. Would you have liked that better? I, I could have brought you one had I known. My hand stopped halfway to the box. I'm just fucking with you, Marcus. I let out a shaky breath. Don't play like that, man. I ripped through the shiny forest green wrapping paper and opened the lid of the shoebox. Inside were five cassette tapes, all lined up and labeled. What's this? Stories about me and Nick. You listen to those tapes, then give me a call. You can give me your decision then. 
Man, I don't have a tape player. Do you know what year it is? He shook his head and started walking toward the door. Check the garage. On the shelf in the back behind the blue plastic container that has all your family photo albums. Well, how do you... He looked over his shoulder at me and winked as he walked out the door. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. After spending five minutes digging the cassette player out of the garage, I sat down to listen. Rudy's voice came out of the only working speaker. It's time for a story about Santa Claus. Time passed. It couldn't have been more than a couple of hours, but it felt a lot longer. By the time the last tape clicked to a stop, the sun was coming up and I was more conflicted than I'd ever been in my life. On the one hand, even after listening to Rudy's story, it still sounded absolutely batshit crazy. But on the other, I believed it. I believed every word he said. Because he was there that day. I could see him in my mind's eye. Him and Nick both. And the memory was becoming more potent solidifying in a way it never had before. Maybe because it was the first time I was really letting myself relive it. There were three sharp knocks at the door and I nearly screamed. Scared the shit out of me if I'm being honest. I stood up, went to the door and looked through the peephole. Two police officers stood waiting on my doorstep. I sighed and opened the door. Good morning. Can I help y'all with something? Marcus Johnson? The one on the left asked, young, white, with a thin mustache. Yeah, that's me. What's this about? The other one started talking before I even finished my question. Heavyset man, also white, sweating. We've had a report that you might be harboring a dangerous fugitive. Ain't nobody here but me, officer. He ignored my question. Go by the name of Rudolph. Do you know a man by that name? I don't know anyone named Rudolph. Officer Mustache grinned. You sure about that? Yeah, I said, feeling increasingly irritated. I'm sure. Well, Officer Heavyset said, that's a shame. I'm ashamed to admit that I didn't see the punch coming. <laughs> His fist drove into my gut and all the air flew from my lungs and out of my mouth. 
I didn't have a chance to hit the ground before Mustache Bull rushed me. I backpedaled until the back of my knees hit the coffee table. I fell, smacking my elbow on the way down. Weight landed on top of me, and I knew it was heavy set. He pushed my shoulder down, twisted my arm behind my back, and shoved my face into the carpet. Mustache stood in front of me, and I could lift my head just far enough to see his face. He unclipped his radio and set it down near my ear. There was a burst of static, then a voice as smooth as butter came through. Hello, Marcus. Do I know you? No, not personally. But I believe you know my work. Still not ringing any bells. Oh, come now, Marcus. You've seen it more than most. You've seen war, and making war is one of my absolute favorite pastimes. The tapes were fresh in my mind. Memories of Rudy at a gas station. <sighs> Scratch! I managed to get through lips that didn't want to work. He sighed, and I swear there were moans behind his breath. Moans and screams. I don't care one way or another what you call me. As long as you listen, you will not assist the one that calls himself Rudolph. You will burn his tapes and pretend it was all a dream. If he returns, you will turn him away. Do you understand? You think you can come in here and... My words became a cry as Heavyset twisted my arm higher. Allow me to elucidate the situation. These two gentlemen were sitting in their car a mile away, drinking coffee and enjoying the name chatter amongst themselves. So I gave them a little nudge in this direction, only so they could deliver this message. But here's what you need to understand, Marcus, because it is the absolute truth. Everything they've done to you since you opened your door has been entirely because they wanted to. I don't get what that- They wanted to hit you. Wanted to throw you to the ground and hurt you. As soon as they saw the color of your skin, I could feel them becoming angry. Do you get it now, Marcus? Their hate for you has nothing to do with me. I wanted to deliver this message with just words, but they couldn't help themselves. Right now, I am the only thing keeping them in check. You should be afraid of them, but at this moment, you have no reason to fear me. So, it's simple really. Don't make me give you a reason. I don't believe you. You're the father of lies, right? If you say so, Marcus. 
But I can tell you what I'm not. I am not a prophet, but I don't have to know the future to tell you what happens next. Yeah? What's that? I will withdraw my influence from here, and these men will kill you. And afterward, they will take that gun you have lying on the couch. And they will wrap your already cooling fingers around the grip. And they will call it justified. And the saddest part? Not one person will question it. And none of that will be my will. Simply theirs. I didn't want him to be right but I couldn't convince myself that he wasn't. It sounded so plausible, so final. Officer Mustache walked to the couch, and I didn't need to see him to know he was going after the gun. Hey, Mustache began. What are you? There was a metallic thump, and suddenly I was face to face with Mustache as he hit the floor. His eyes were rolled back into his head, his mouth drooling blood onto the beige carpet. Heavyset's weight came off me, and my arm was free. I almost cried out in relief. I rolled over onto my back and looked up at Rudy. He stood, a blood-smeared crowbar in one hand and my pistol in the other, pointing directly at Heavyset's face. I'd suggest not moving, else I'm gonna have to blow your face out the back of your head. I sat up and flexed my arm, wincing at the pain that had settled into my shoulder. Don't kill him. He's being controlled. Nope. He's being influenced. Big difference. Scratch can't make you do something you don't want to do. Isn't that right, fuckhead? Rudolph, Scratch said, his tone laced with hate. You have no idea, no inkling of how sick I am of having this conversation. Then stop meddling in my business. There, problem solved. And you, he said to Heavyset, drag your buddy out of here, and if I see you back here, I'm gonna shove his gun up your ass sideways. Got it? Heavyset stood and smiled. When I come back, it'll be with a SWAT team. Then you and the nit- Rudy swung the crowbar into the man's gut. He hit his knees, gasping for breath. Nope, you ain't about to go throwing the N-word around. Marcus, do me a favor and grab their guns, would you? I nodded and unfastened the snap on Heavyset's holster. He didn't resist when I withdrew his pistol. Mustache murmured in his sleep as I grabbed his gun and backed away. Rudy knelt and looked Heavyset in the eye. I know what happened to you, Kevin. You grew up miserable and full of the same hate and racist shit your old man saddled you with. I'm sorry Santa wasn't there for you, truly fucking sorry. But you ain't gotta be like this. And you ain't gotta make your old man's mistakes with your own boy. You hear me? He don't have to grow up hating people. To my surprise, Heavyset started crying. Not sobbing out of control or anything, but tears ran down his cheeks as he nodded. Rudy gestured the mustache. And when he wakes up, tell him to stop being such an asshole too. Oh, and take him to the ER. They may still be able to save his teeth. Heavyset nodded again as he put his arms on the mustache's shoulders and began to drag him away and out the door. Rudy set the gun and the crowbar on the coffee table, then picked up the radio. You're not going to win.
this one, Rudolph. Scratch seethed. My plans have finally come to fruition. Sorry, can't hear you. Going through a tunnel, Rudy said, before turning the radio off and throwing it through the open door. All right, Marcus. Pack up your essentials and let's get the fuck out of here before more trouble shows up. What, now? I can't just leave right now. I, I gotta get shit settled here. Man, I haven't even got my goddamn mail forwarded yet. And was that the fucking devil? Yes, sir, and he's on to me, which means he knows what I'm after. Which also means my timeline just got pushed up. What timeline? I thought you traveled around going to malls until you hit the bad guy or some shit. I ain't too far off the mark, but this year ain't your average hunt. Then what is it? He smiled. This is the big game hunt, my friend. I'll fill you in after we get moving, promise. Just believe me when I say I need you and you need me. I need you? For what? Because I know what you've been looking for. A way to make a real difference. A war that you actually believe in. And I won't ever tell you something is outside the scope of the mission. Handing out cold to people who hurt children is our mission. Full fucking stop. Fine, I get it. But what's so important that we have to pack up and leave right now? He sighed. I've spent years fighting drunk step-parents and handing out coal to every lowlife I've come across who dared to lay a finger on a kid. Pornographers, molesters, murderers. But today, I've got a bona fide U.S. Senator in my sights. What? You heard right. Now let's get a move on. Soon we were headed down the highway in a Ford Bronco that looked so beat up that I was shocked as hell it was still running. So where exactly are we headed? I asked over the roar of the wind through the open window. An old hotel or motel, maybe apartments. I've got an image of the building but I ain't entirely sure exactly what it is or where. First we gotta make a stop for some important business. What kind of business? You'll see. In another seven miles or so, we put on the blinker and got off the highway. And then we pulled into the parking lot of our destination. A Waffle House, I said, looking up at the familiar yellow and black sign. You have important business at a Waffle House. He cut the engine and grinned. The guy we're meeting is an asshole, and I know how much he'd hate sitting in a place like this. Plus, I'm about to go balls deep on some hash browns. There's a great visual, I said and got out. We walked in, and I must admit I was starving as well. The smell of searing onions and scrambled eggs drew me in, and by the time we sat down, I was damn near drooling. A short woman with a pleasant, ruddy face approached the table. How y'all doing? She said, pulling a yellow notepad from the pocket of her black apron. What well, can I get you two to drink? Rudy started ordering before the woman finished her question. Hey, darling, could I get a Coke with two splashes of that vanilla syrup? And a double order of hash browns all the way, please. Thank you kindly. Sure, huh? And you? Two scrambled eggs with cheese, toast, and coffee, please. Rudy snapped his fingers. Damn, forgot about coffee. Make that two, please. Aight. Be back with those drinks. Okay, I said as soon as she was out of earshot. Who are we meeting? Well, it may or may not come as a shock, but I've got some friends in high places. The highest of places, really. And here y'all go, the waitress said, placing steaming mugs of coffee in front of us. That was fast as hell. She smiled. Remember that when you tip. She gave Rudy a wink, then walked away. 
Anyway, Rudy continued, we're meeting an angel. If you listen to the tapes, then you already know who I'm talking about. Fanuel, I said, it sounded like you two didn't exactly get along. We didn't. Still don't, mostly. But we've buried the hatchet since then. Even helped each other out a time or two. He's still an uppity jackass, but we can be civil when there's a job needing done. Rudy lifted the mug to his lips and drained the coffee in a few quick gulps. I stared at him wide-eyed. Didn't that hurt? No, not really. I'm so cold inside that it feels nice. I remembered I was talking to a man who had come back from the dead, so I didn't press him on it. But still, you feel pain, right? He cocked his head, lost in thought. In a way, I guess. I know when I'm hurt, but it's a far away feeling. Let's say somebody stabbed you. That'd be intense, right? Like someone screaming in your ear. For me, it's like that scream comes from down the street. Are you invincible or something? He laughed. <laughs> nope, can't say that I am. But I'll tell you what, death has made me a hell of a lot tougher. Wait, do I need to die to become part of this team or whatever you call this? He looked me straight in the eye. Who said you haven't already? Immediately I felt numb, and my mind went looking for the memories of every time I'd been injured during my deployments. Was it the shrapnel I took in the back from the grenade while I was protecting the VIP during my first tour in Iraq? Was it the 7.62 round that came half an inch away from hitting my femoral artery? Rudy slapped the table and guffawed. <laughs> the look on your face! <laughs> you were so spooked! <laughs> I bit my bottom lip, fighting the urge to punch him. <laughs> you ain't dead, he said, wiping the tear from his eye. <laughs> God damn, that was funny. I had multiple things I wanted to say to him, but the waitress appeared with our food. She put a place down in front of us. <laughs> what I owe you, darling, <laughs> Rudy said, still chuckling. She shook her head. It's all right. Y'all can pay after you eat. I'd rather settle up now. You never know when you may have to leave in a hurry. Well, okay. It's 25-19. Rudy pulled out his wallet. A thin old thing made of blood-covered leather. He pulled a hundred-dollar bill out and placed it in her hand. Then opened the wallet above the hundred and shook it. A dime, a nickel, and four pennies fell into her palm. We don't accept hundreds. Sorry about that. You got a card or... Rudy gave the wallet another shake and a twenty and a five fluttered out and landed onto the small stack. You keep the hundred. You earned it. I ain't never seen someone grab coffee so fast. That's too much, she stammered. Rudy smiled. Darling, you can take it now, or I can just leave it here on the table for somebody less deserving to pick it up. Thank you, she said, her eyes shining with tears. I can really use this. I know it. Now, if you wouldn't mind leaving us for just a bit, I've got a friend who'll be joining us soon. Don't worry, he won't be ordering anything. She nodded, said thanks a couple more times, and then left the table. Rudy held up the battered, folded leather and said, Magic wallet! He tucked it back into his pocket without another word. Before I could start peppering him with a hundred questions about how the wallet works, the little bell above the door rang out. In walked a tall man in a suit. I don't know a lot about fashion, having spent half my life in a uniform, 
but I could tell it was tailored and expensive. Something about the way it clung to him like a second skin, the way the perfectly knotted pale blue tie hung from his neck. I started to wonder if it was more than just expert tailoring. Well, there you are, you beautiful son of a bitch, Rudy said. He pointed to me. Marcus, scooch on over for our friend here. I slid closer to the wall, trying not to feel offended when Fanuel used his handkerchief to wipe the seat before sitting down with a sigh. Just once, Rudolph, he said, his voice melodic and clear. Just once could we meet in a place that doesn't reek of sweat and onions. That rules out most of human civilization, Rudy said with a laugh. And who is this? He said, his blue eyes on me, his irises swirling with wheels upon wheels. Father above, don't tell me you managed to recruit another zealot to your cause. Maybe, Rudy said, shrugging. I guess we'll see, won't we? See what? If he lives through the week? I'm sitting right here. Stop talking around me like I'm not. Fanuel glanced at me, then back to Rudy. He's a feisty one, but joyless and lacking humor. Knowing you, I don't see how this partnership will work. What with your proclivity for mirth. He said the last word like it tasted bad in his mouth. I do appreciate a good joke, Rudy said. But let's get down to it. Why'd you call this meeting? To warn you, Fanuel said, as if he didn't care one way or the other. What, Daddy above trying to rein me in again? Quite the opposite, actually. I'm sure the Father and all of the heavenly host would wish you success in your newest venture. The situation has gotten out of hand and needs to be dealt with. Well, that's refreshing. Then what's the warning? Your target is not like your usual prey. He must be stopped. What he's doing is surely an affront to heaven. But it's what he could do that has us worried. And what is it that he could do? I asked. Fanuel leaned forward, causing me to draw closer to him, like he had his own gravitational pull. He could become the next leader of this country. And that cannot be allowed. That would be, in a word, disastrous. So God can see the future, I said. Fanuel sighed, then looked at Rudy. Is he going to continue to comment on everything I say? God sees all futures, Rudy explained. But he doesn't know which one will happen until an individual makes their choices. Free will, I said, feeling like puzzle pieces were clicking into place within my mind. Congratulations, Fanuel said, and mine clapping at me. You figured out the secrets of the universe. Now can we please finish this so I can leave before the stench of this place permeates my suit? As I was saying... This man must die, but he isn't going to make it easy. I figured as much, which is why Marcus is here. He's a trained soldier with a keen eye. 
Is that so? Fanuel said, raising an eyebrow. Tell me, Marcus, what does your keen eye see? For one, you don't have to worry about the smell sticking to your clothes. There's some kind of illusion, a trick of the light. And two, you're nervous. You can't sweat, but you would be if you could. You want out of here, and fast, because you're not supposed to be here, right? I can assure you that I don't need permission, so there's more to it. You tell me which one it is. Either you're responsible for this mess, or you're supposed to be cleaning it up yourself. But instead, we're doing the dirty work, so no more attention is pointed your way. Which one is it? Fanuel glared at me, his eyes growing brighter. Well, Rudy said, is he right? Yes. So which is it? Both, Fanuel said with a sigh. I've tried authoring this man's destruction many times over the past decade. But somehow it eludes me. I don't know what is protecting him. But it's powerful. More powerful than me. As much as it pains me to admit it. Why not ask your bright-eyed brothers for help? Fanuel scoffed. As if they'd ever lower themselves to help one such as me. And even if they did, I would literally hear about it for eternity. Gabriel is enough of a blowhard as it is. And Michael is insufferable even at his best. When we first met, your predecessor said I was little more than a footnote in our history. He was right. But if I'm ever to change that, then I can't be seen as weak. So, asking any other angel for help is out of the question. And don't look so smug, Rudolph. What? Rudy said with a smile. I told you he had an eye on him, didn't I? Fanuel pinched the lapel of his suit and pulled out a wisp of light, which then solidified into a piece of paper the size of a business card. The address. Guards will be patrolling, and whatever is keeping him hidden will surely be with him. That's all I can tell you. My vision is occluded from all else. Rudy took the card. Thanks. We'll handle it from here. I trust you will. Until next time, Rudolph. The angel left as quickly as he had come. I watched him as he walked out the door and into the parking lot. His suit shimmered and dissolved like rising steam, and great wings spread from his back. They flapped once, and he was in the sky, and then gone. I don't know if I'll ever get used to that. Sure you will, Rudy said, placing the card into his shirt pocket. Before long, all this crazy shit will just seem like another Tuesday. Come on, let's skedaddle. The miles flew by as we drove. Rudy was uncharacteristically silent and sullen. I don't like it, he said. Not one damn bit. Maybe if you explain what we're actually doing, I could help. Shit. Yeah, sorry. I've been working alone for years. I ain't used to explaining myself. Here goes. You know Mr. Matthew Dorr? Yeah, senator for this district. 
was investigated for dating a 17-year-old or something a few years back, but nothing came of it. He's the one? That he is. But what else has he done? Or was the teenager enough to put him on your naughty list? It would, but that ain't all. He raped at least two women in college. But you'll never get those records unsealed. You ready for the rest? I nodded, but his tone made me question if I was. Doris spent the past seven years or so overseeing a human trafficking operation. Mostly preteen runaways and almost all girls. But in the past couple years, he's been grabbing illegal immigrants since no one seems to care when they go missing around here. His clients are all high up in the government or extremely rich or both. You ever see him on TV bragging about never taking campaign donations from big business? That's cause he's got plenty of money coming in from his buddies and their hobbies. Bullshit. There's no way that would stay covered up this long. Somebody- How long did it take them to get Epstein? And his operation was much more public than Doris. Shit, Epstein practically flaunted it. Door is smarter and savvier. I don't find it hard to believe it's happening, just that no one has caught on. Marcus, look at the bastard. All-American white guy with a smile like a game show host and the hair to match. None of his supporters will ever believe it. And if his enemies accuse him, he'll just give them the old persecution routine. I'm a white Christian man, so everyone is after me. Then he'll accuse him of exactly what he's been accused of. Persecution and projection. And if that don't settle it, he'll just call it fake news and the media will move on to something else. I thought about it for a moment, listening to the drone of the Bronco's engine. You're probably right. So what's the plan? He's got an old place near the boonies. Human cargo gets dropped there and they put them up in rooms until they have a buyer or until heat gets close. This is the third location that I've found, but the first that's still active. Every time I've gotten close, they've packed up and left. But with the address Fanuel gave us, I know exactly where the fuckers are right now. How do we know Dora's there? We don't, but I've got two reasons why I believe he is. He's a control freak, and he likes to have the first pick of new girls. My stomach flipped, and I could feel the eggs I'd just eaten threaten to come back up my throat. This is all real, isn't it? I asked. Rudy gave a solemn nod. Unfortunately. He lifted one finger from the steering wheel and pointed. Look up ahead. We had just passed through what was left of an old town, a victim of neglect and time. I vaguely knew where we were, remembered there used to be a paper mill around there somewhere. I guess when the mill closed, the town went with it. Rudy's finger was pointing at a squat one-story building, the no color of sun-bleached paint. It was an old motel must have been a mom-and-pop kind of place because I didn't recognize the name. That's it? Yep. I'm gonna park a couple hundred yards off. Then we'll go on foot. Then? Then, if you see anybody that even remotely resembles a human trafficking pedophile, you give them their fucking coal. But try to be as quiet as long as you can. No reason to alert the rest before they know we're coming for them. Got it. I reached below my seat and pulled out my pistol. Quiet as long as we can. Go loud if and when necessary. I paused for just a second, feeling the thumping of my heart trying to escape my chest. Rudy placed his hand on my shoulder. You got this, Marcus. I nodded. Yeah, it's just been a while. I always get queasy before missions. It'll pass. Good. Let's get to it. 
We exited the Bronco. I took one of the cop's pistols from under the seat and Rudy took the other. He began to walk off in the afternoon light, pistol in one hand, crowbar in the other. Stick with me, he said, walking in a straight line toward the building. I grabbed him by the shoulder. You told me you're more of a barroom brawler type of guy, right? Yeah. Then let me take point on this. We got some cover between us and them. Let's use it. There are at least six abandoned cars, two dumpsters, and some low scrub between those trees on the east side. We'll have to detour to the left for about 25 yards after the second dumpster, but we'll come up behind the building. I'm going to head right and post up behind that Chevy. When I signal you, meet me there. Got it? Rudy grinned. I knew you'd come in handy. Lead on, Comet. Comet? Prancer? Absolutely not. Uh, we'll work on the code name later. Okay, I'm going. Stay low like I do. I ran hunched at the waist, gun hanging low but ready. When I hit the Chevy, I gestured for Rudy. He ran over. Like that? He said, squatting beside me. Just like that. We're going to keep going one at a time, all the way up. He nodded. I nodded. Then we were on our way, moving like chess pieces, square by square. We eventually reached the second dumpster, then cut left into the sparse tree line. A chain-link fence wrapped around the rear of the building, but most of it had fallen and rusted years ago. There was a box truck in the rear parking lot, with two men standing guard outside. That was a bit of an overstatement, since neither seemed to be actually paying attention to their surroundings. One said something too low for me to hear, and the other erupted into laughter. I turned to Rudy. You think you can get their attention? Try to draw them closer? Yeah, I can perfectly imitate a reindeer mating call. Should work. Seriously? Is it magic or- Nah, I'm just fucking with you. But don't worry, I'll get them closer. I stifled a laugh and shook my head. See? I almost got a laugh out of you. And a really bad time for it. I'm gonna go right, see if I can get on the opposite side of the truck. Ready? Ready. I moved quickly and quietly through the trees, keeping an eye on the guards as I did. Within seconds came the sound of someone doing a terrible impression of an owl. The guards looked in Rudy's direction. The one in the camouflage had swung around and pointed his rifle toward the trees. The fuck was that? The one in the flannel overshirt shook his head. Don't know, but it didn't sound natural. Sounded like somebody doing the backup vocals to Sympathy for the Devil. What? That old Stone song, you know? Anyway, I'm going to go check it out, Flannel said and started toward Rudy. I fell to my belly and crawled through a large gap between the fence and the ground, jumped to my feet, then walked quickly to the front of the truck. I circled around until I was directly behind Camo Hat. I looked over his shoulder and could see Flannel at the tree line, his back to me. I wrapped my hand over Camo Hat's mouth and pressed the barrel of my pistol against his ear. Make a sound and I will kill you without hesitation. Nod if you understand. He dipped his chin in a slight nod. I guess I wasn't clear. Your life means absolutely nothing to me. I will kill you in this parking lot and still sleep just fine tonight. Now, do you believe that I will kill you? His second nod was much more emphatic. Good. Now, you're going to call once for your friend. You're going to be just loud enough for him to hear and no louder. If you're too loud, I'm going to kill you. He nodded. I'm going to let go of your mouth and step just enough behind the truck to stay out of sight. But make no mistake, 
I will have this gun pointed at your head the entire time. Call him. I did as I said, letting go of his mouth and dipping behind the truck, but peeking around the edge just in case of trouble. Jimmy, Kimmo had said, his voice only a little shaky. It was nothing. Come on back. Jimmy shook his head and turned towards us. I don't know, man. It didn't sound like no animal. You sure whip. Rudy appeared from the tree, striding with purpose, his white beard bobbing with each step. He raised the crowbar over his head and swiftly brought it down between Jimmy's shoulder blades. <laughs> the man made a sound like a cough, then fell forward, landed on his rifle. I saw Camo Hat's mouth begin to move, and I placed the barrel against his head once more. Hush now, I said, and he did. Jimmy was trying to crawl forward but had nowhere to go. Rudy brought the crowbar down again, and this time on the back of his head. Blood flew and painted a crimson diagonal line across Rudy's beard. He gave Jimmy a gentle kick, but he didn't move. Satisfied, Rudy walked over to where Camo Hat and I were standing. What the hell kind of animal noise was that supposed to be? It wasn't. I was doing the backup vocals to Sympathy for the Devil, he said, and then burst out into song. Just as every cop is a criminal, and all the sinners shines. He turned his gaze to Camo Hat. Well, which are you, friend? Wh which what? Camo Hat said. Sinner or saint? I, for one, am a saint. Guess which one? He shook his head. I don't know. Rudy shook his head, an incredulous smile split in his lips. Well, which one do I look like? You know anyone else going around with a big white beard and spreading Christmas cheer? Camo Hat's eyes flicked to Jimmy's body. You call that Christmas cheer? Rudy raised his eyebrows and shrugged. Made me feel cheery. He looked at me. What about you? Pretty fucking cheery, I agreed. And Jimmy there, he said, then whistled. Jimmy was definitely a sinner. Now that we're all on the same page, tell me, um... <laughs> Frank. Tell me, Frank, is your boss man inside? Yes. And how many goons has he got with him? Six. I felt something off about that single syllable. I pressed the barrel of the gun harder against his scalp. Okay, okay, three. Good, Rudy said. Now, do you want to die this evening? No, sir. Hand over your rifle. Frank did as he was told, unstrapping the rifle and handing it over to me. Answer a question, Rudy said. Did you know what was in that truck? He shook his head. Nobody said. I was just told to stand here to make sure nobody bothered it until the other guys came to unload it. Shit, I just started this job today. I exchanged a glance with Rudy. Rudy stared into his eyes, then nodded. Get the fuck out of here. Head through the fence and keep running till you collapse. Do I need to tell you what will happen if I see you again? He shook his head violently. No, sir. Leave your phone. Frank pulled out his phone and I snatched it and stuffed it into my front pocket. Now go. The man never looked back. I handed my pistol to Rudy, then he gestured to the truck. Let's get her open. I grabbed the handle and flipped it open. Then Rudy and I pushed the rolling door up. The smell of piss and sweat rushed out as we stared inside. There were seven girls all huddled together at the back of the cargo space, clinging to each other and whispering hurriedly in a language I didn't understand but sounded like Spanish. The youngest looked ten, 
The oldest could have been 16 or 17, but I couldn't tell for sure in the low light. God damn. I was still hoping we were wrong. There still may be more inside the motel, Rudy said, then hopped up into the truck. The girls' voices grew frantic at the sight of them. Hey, hey now. Take it easy. We ain't with those other guys and we're here to help. Does anyone here speak English? One dark-haired girl raised a hand timidly. A little. What's your name? Maria. Maria, Rudy said. That's a beautiful name. Could you please tell everyone here that my friend and I are here to help? She gave them the message, and I could practically see the tension leave their bodies. Good, good. Now, let them know that we're going to shut the door again, but we're not locking it, okay? I want everyone to just stay right here until we get back. We're going to, um, stop the bad men. It took Maria a couple of minutes to explain and get the rest of them to calm down. But eventually, she turned back to Rudy and nodded. Thank you, Maria, Rudy said. We'll be back as soon as we can. We rolled the door back down, but left the handle flipped open. Rudy nodded to the rifle I held. You know how to handle that, right? Yeah, it's an AR-15, I said, sliding the bolt back and checking the chamber. Not much different than the M4 I used to carry downrange. Good, then I'm following you. There's a fire door right there. We're going to have to go through the front. Any side door is probably locked, but even if it ain't, there still may be an alarm. Good point. Lead on. We circled around to the front. There was an awning over the glass double doors big enough to park a car under on a rainy day. I posted up beside the door, Rudy right behind me. I'm going to take a look, I whispered, then slowly peeked around the edge. See anything? I turned back to him. Small lobby, barely lit. Front desk in its own alcove to the right. Couch in the middle between two fake potted plants. Door on the left that probably leads to the hall. Partially open, light shining through. What color was the carpet? Beige or brown, I couldn't tell. Not enough light. I was being sarcastic, Marcus. I smiled. I know. You might be worth keeping around after all. Okay, the door opens out. I'm going to try to grab it and hold it open. Then you come around and go in. Keep your gun up. On three. One, two, three. I pulled the door open and Rudy whipped around me. Then immediately jumped to the right. There was the telltale boom of a shotgun and the glass exploded in the door frame, peppering me with jagged pieces. Rudy crawled behind the opposite wall, then reached around to return fire. He fired two rounds before ducking back. The shotgun boomed again. He's behind the door! Rudy yelled. Another blast from the shotgun and the other door fell into pieces, sending glittering shards across the sidewalk. I knelt and leaned away from the wall and set my sights on the hall door. I exhaled slowly. There was the shik-shuck of a new shell being racked in, then a low scrape as the barrel of the shotgun slid from behind the door. Now sure of exactly where his center mass was located, I fired three rounds. Three splintered holes appeared in the door before it flew open and a man fell onto the carpet. Come on, I said. Rudy followed me in, glass crunching beneath our feet. I kept the rifle trained on the man's body. Check him, but be careful. Rudy walked over to him, aimed a pistol, and fired. Looks dead to me. I shook my head, not knowing whether to laugh or to scream at him. Cries came from farther down the hall. 
I guess they know we're here. Well, let's go say hello. We never got the chance. Shots reverberated from the hall and I threw myself flat. <clears throat> God damn it! I cried, crawling over to Rudy. <sighs> we can't get down the hall with them all firing from the other end. I'll hold them off, Rudy said. They don't know there's two of us yet. You circle back around to that fire door we saw, and I'll keep throwing bullets their way. I nodded. Be careful! Hurry up and go! I crawled through the glass, feeling it biting my forearms and my thighs as Rudy fired back down the hall. I stopped at the corner, looked around, then circled it with my rifle at the ready. I made it about ten paces before the fire door flew open and two men ran out, both armed. Old instincts kicked in and I fired two shots before they even looked in my direction. Blood exploded from one of the men's necks as he spun around and landed on the concrete. Screams came from the truck at the sound of the gunfire. The second man fired his pistol before he'd even aimed it. The man knew he hadn't hit me and hesitated, maybe hoping to line up another shot. I didn't give him the opportunity. I fired three times and he joined his friend on the ground. I went to the fire door but took a moment to make sure the men's bodies weren't moving, then entered the building. The hall was short and ran perpendicular to the main hall. I looked left and right and saw nothing but the rows of doors that led into rooms. Rudy, I called. I'm here. He quit firing. You all right? Yeah, the other two are down. You hear that, Maddie? Rudy yelled. All your hired goons are dead. Come on out and surrender and we'll talk. There were a few beats of silence that stretched on for far too long. I started down the hall toward Rudy, keeping an eye on each door as I passed them. Rudy met me halfway. We're gonna have to check them all, he said, waving the pistol at the doors. I nodded. Yeah, you take left, I'll take right. Wait, what's that noise? I don't... Screams coming from outside, and that wasn't all. The smell of gas. Shit! Rudy cried. Come on! He barreled past me and was beyond the corner before I could even swivel around. Maybe if I had been quicker, things would have been different. I ran and reached the corner in time to see Rudy outside, framed by the fire door. Three shots rang out. Blood mist hung in the air. And then Rudy was down. I didn't allow myself to panic. Just let instinct do its job. I posted myself at the doorframe and leaned out. There was Senator Matthew Dorr, standing barefoot in the parking lot wearing nothing but pajama bottoms. His focus was on Rudy. Drop it! Dorr smiled, his teeth white and gleaming. Drop this? He asked, waving the pistol. Or this? In his other hand was a Zippo-style lighter, its flame wavering in the slight breeze. He held it over a puddle beneath the large fuel tank on the side of the truck. A soak cloth hung from where the cap had been. I held the rifle firmly, the stock pressed against my cheek, my sights on his wrist. Don't, Rudy croaked. Don't shoot, Marcus. Can't, can't risk it. Yes, Marcus, Dor sneered. It's just too risky. Let the girls go, Dor. Then we go our separate ways. He shook his head, his expression a parody of sadness. I'm afraid that's not going to work for me at all. 
See, if you two are dead and the trash in the truck is torched, then there's nothing tying me to this place at all. Trash? Well, I'm just assuming. I didn't get to try any of them out yet before you two showed up. My finger tightened against the trigger. Those are human beings in that truck. Just like you. No, not like me. There's nothing quite like me. The air around me shimmered. The building, the truck, everything just disappeared. Suddenly, I was in a room. Well, what I thought at first was a huge room. But then I realized it wasn't huge. I was just smaller. The walls were decorated in soothing pastels. Stars and shapes and numbers hung upon them. I'd looked at my rifle, but I wasn't holding it anymore. Instead, my hands held a stethoscope. Small, cheap, and plastic. A child's toy. I dropped it with a cry of disgust. It fell in slow motion past my white lab coat. Dor was sitting on the couch, dressed in a bathrobe and white socks. You see, Marcus, he said, his slick gelled hair shiny in the overhead light. I have a natural talent for persuasion. You don't succeed in my line of work without it. But a few years back, I had a visitor. He spoke to me over the TV. Can you believe that? Offered me a piece, just a small piece of his power, and a chance to ascend. This time next year, I'll be announcing my candidacy for president. Can you imagine how much good I'll be able to do? Good? I said, my voice small. The voice of a child. I give these girls a purpose. They come to America, the greatest country that's ever been, looking for a better life. I give that to them. They're fed, clothed, given work. So what if the work is servicing some old rich guys? It's not like they're going to do better on their own. So when, not if I'm president, so-called human trafficking laws will be the first to go. And then, on to bigger and better things. You're inhuman, I spit. And you're a small, scared little boy, he said. Aren't you, Marcus? My eyes filled with tears. Everything turned blurry. <laughs> no, I... Yes, a scared little boy. But it's okay, I'll make you feel better, he said, and patted the cushion beside him. Boys aren't usually my thing, but for you, we'll make an exception. Come on over here, Marcus. I didn't want to, but my feet wouldn't obey. I started walking to him. I don't want to play anymore, I said with a sob. I never wanted to. And I was standing in front of him, and he leaned in close to me. Don't worry. He said, we won't tell your daddy. It'll be our secret. I froze, my mind flooded with the memory of a man, a large man with a large beard, the biggest man I'd ever seen. I remembered him picking me up, remembered how his arms felt, how safe I felt. Santa, I had asked back then, the one and only. Nick had said, 
his beard tickling my face. And I promise you, Marcus, everything is going to be okay. It might not seem like it right now, or even tomorrow, but I swear it will. Dora's expression changed, turned to a look of confusion. What are you? I reached out and grabbed his hand. And as my fingers closed over the ladder, the world, the real world, returned in an instant. I looked into Dora's eyes and saw his fear. And everything was okay. I slammed my head forward and felt a satisfying crunch as his nose broke and his front teeth turned inward. <coughs> he reeled and stumbled before landing ass first on the ground. I snuffed the lighter's flame, then tossed it aside. <laughs> you broke my nose! Dor screamed, blood flying from his lips. You're fucking dead, do you hear me? No judge is ever going to convict me. And when it's all over, I'm coming for your ass with a goddamn army! Convict you? I said with a laugh. You dumb motherfucker. We're here to kill you. His eyes grew wide. You can't. Because... Because you're still in the church. The air shimmered again, but it was fleeting, his fear weakening whatever persuasive power he had left. You're just a scared little boy, afraid when you get home that daddy is going to hate you, that your friends are going to call you a faggot, and that everyone's going to know it was your fault in the first- I fell upon him. I punched him and clawed at him with my nails. The flesh of my knuckles ripped as I struck his face and neck and God knows what else because I was just swinging, not caring what I was hitting. I was crying and screaming and his blood mixed with the tears on my face and all I saw was red and the whole world was red and he was just meat beneath my fists. I felt Rudy's arms around my chest pulling me away and I let him. He crawled all the way over to me, a trail of blood behind him. You're all right now. You're all right, he said, teeth clenched against the pain. At least I hope you are, because I'm pretty sure I'm bleeding to death. Oh shit, I said, rolling him over onto his back. He had two bullet wounds high up on his chest near his clavicle and another below his breastbone. Fuck, this ain't good, Rudy. We gotta get you to a hospital now. He shook his head, then patted his hip. The crowbar was there, threaded through a belt loop. I got a little more time, he said, then grabbed my hand. He pried open my fingers and sat a piece of coal on my palm. Go finish it. You're going to die, Rudy. Just go on and do what I said. Don't move, I said and pulled the crowbar from the loop. I walked over to Dor. Rudy was right. It wasn't over. Dor was breathing, labored and bloody as it was. He looked up at me with his remaining eye. His lips moved as he tried to speak. I swung the crowbar down into the ruin of his face. Just once. He convulsed briefly, then laid blessedly still. I leaned over and gently placed the coal in the indentation the crowbar had made. I ran to the truck, pulled the latch, then pushed the door open. 
The girls were all there, huddled in the dark, safe and sound. I looked from face to face until I found her. Maria! She dislodged herself from the group and approached me. I pulled Frank's cell phone from my pocket, swiped the emergency call icon, then handed it to her. Here, talk to the operator. Ask for an ambulance. Tell them people are hurt. What if the men come back? They won't be coming back anywhere ever again. A man's voice came over the phone. 911, what's your emergency? Maria, talk to them, please. My friend is hurt badly, and I have to go help him. And get everyone out of this truck. There's some gas on the ground, and it isn't safe. She nodded with tears in her eyes and lifted the phone to her mouth. When I reached Rudy, he was pale and mumbling. I pulled off my light jacket and my shirt, folded the shirt, then pressed it to his wounds. Thank God he was much smaller than me. I wrapped the jacket around him, tying the sleeves in a tight knot over the folded shirt. Rudy, you hear me? You gotta stay with me. He said something too low to make out. I can't understand you. No, he said carefully. I spit all. Take me home. An ambulance is on the way. Just sit tight and... No, he said, his eyes blazing as he sat up. Then he wilted back to the ground just as quickly. Take me home. I don't even know where you live, man. North. You can't... Can't miss it. I wanted to shake him. Do you know how much shit is north? Montgomery? Birmingham? Fucking Tennessee? You gotta give me more than that. But he was silent. Still breathing, but silent. I hefted him up and laid him over my shoulders in a fireman carry. Then ran for the Bronco. All right. North it is. Got him strapped into the passenger seat, jumped behind the wheel, then peeled out onto the highway. North, I muttered to myself. What is north of here? Where does a guy like this even live? A campground? A mile passed, then two, then three. Panic set in. Rudy, I said, taking my hand off the wheel to shake him by the shoulder. You gotta help me here. Where do you live? Where am I taking you? There was no response but a shallow breath. God damn it, Rudy! Wake up! Nothing. I slammed on the brakes and pulled over on the side of the road. Hey! I cried, looking up at the roof of the cab. God! Polera, somebody! I need some fucking help here! I'll even take the angel! Just somebody tell me what the fuck to do! I dropped my head in my hand, feeling ridiculous and ashamed. I wiped the sweat from my face and stared ahead at nothing. Not five yards ahead on the right, the guardrail abruptly ended, then began again after a seven or eight foot gap. A dirt road led down an embankment and disappeared into the trees. It wasn't there when I pulled over. I absolutely knew it wasn't, but I had come this far, went through all the hell and blood on little more than faith. I guess I could follow on a little bit longer. I hit the gas and yanked the wheel to the right. The Bronco split the guardrails and went headlong into the woods. Branches flew by, swiping the sides of the truck and slapping pine needles all over the windshield. We bounced up and down with every bump and dip in the pitted road. 
Beyond the windows, the sky grew dark. What the fuck? I said, watching as the late afternoon light became evening, then fell dark all within the space of 30 seconds. Stars shone bright over the treetops. I flipped the headlights on just in time to avoid a massive stump in front of us, nearly flipping the Bronco as I swerved and hit the brakes. The road had ended in a clearing, and in the middle of it was the biggest stump I'd ever seen. The son of a bitch had to be seven feet in diameter. I jumped out, already yelling. Hey! I cried as I made my way around the front of the Bronco. I need help over here! I threw the door open and unbuckled Rudy, then picked him up like he was a sleeping child. Set me down on the stump. I didn't ask questions, just walked him over and laid him down gently. I looked at his pale face. What now, Rudy? What do I do now? You've done enough, a voice said. I looked up, and there was a man. He was taller than me. His white hair tied back behind his head, his long beard braided and down over his broad chest. He wore robes of crimson, the edges trimmed in white, instantly recognizable, but also foreign, more like a monk's robes than a suit. Nick, I said, my breath puffing from my mouth. I hadn't even realized it until then how cold it was there. He nodded. Hello, Marcus. Looks like you grew up a bit since the last time I saw you. He offered his hand, but I ignored it and wrapped my arms around him. Well, all right then. I guess a hug will work too. I pulled away from him so I could look him in the eye. Thank you, I said with every bit of sincerity I could put into the syllables. Thank you for saving me. Twice. Twice? Yeah, long story. But without the memory of you in my head, I wouldn't be here. Well, that may be, but you don't owe me nothing. You brought Rudy home. We're even. Is he going to be okay? Nick put his hand on Rudy's. Yeah, he'll be all right now that he's here. It may take him a few days, hell, maybe even a week. But he'll wake up. He'll be just as loud and as crude as usual, but alive. Thank God. He didn't have nothing to do with this. This is your victory. It doesn't feel like a victory. A, a lot of people died today. Nick's expression turned grim. The people who needed killing got killed. Simple as that. They made their choices and you made yours. If they hadn't been put down, then those girls would have been lost. And they wouldn't have been the last. And if that ain't enough for you, you fucked old Scratch's plans up right and proper. Dor was nothing but a puppet, but that puppet was still going to be sitting his ass in the Oval Office in a couple of years. So yeah, it's a victory all right. He sighed. <sighs> you know, back in my day, there wasn't anything close to this. I once had to give a governor his coal for running down a kid while he was drunk, but that was the extent of me getting into politics. That's why I sent Rudy to get you. You sent him? Yep. Rudy has the gift, and he's a fine Santa. I'm damn proud of him. But times are changing, and we have to change with them. Rudy needs you. Your skill, your strength, your brains. Will you stay by his side? But before you say yes or no, remember, if you say yes, 
your life as you know it out there is over. It didn't take much thought. I understand, and I accept. You'll protect him when he needs it. Give him counsel even when he's being stubborn. Keep him level-headed in the face of whatever evil shows up. Yes, Nick smiled. I'm glad to hear it. And don't forget to take care of yourself while you're at it. It's a hard life, but enjoy what you can when you can. I best be going now. You're leaving? Yeah. I've got business to attend to. It's my busiest time of the year, you know. But if Rudy is Santa, what are you doing now? Nick looked up at the night sky. Maybe I'll show you one day. But for now, let's just say I was promoted and leave it at that. Roger that, I said and stuck out my hand. It was a pleasure to meet you, Nick. He took it in his own hand and we shook. You too, son. Take care now. There was a flash of silver blue light, and just like that, he was gone. I guess it wouldn't surprise you, whoever you are out there listening to this story, that there was a small cabin nearby. That's where I spent the next three days waiting for Rudy to wake up. It was the morning of the third day, and I woke to the sound of the door opening. There was Rudy, standing in just his jeans, his new scars shiny on his pale skin. Well, well, well. Is my bed comfy? I sat up and rubbed my eyes. Oh, uh, um, yeah. It is. I'm happy to see you, too. I'd be a whole lot happier if you hadn't left me on the goddamn stump for... How long has it been? Three days. For three days? I stood up and grabbed my shirt. I didn't know you could be moved. Thought it might fuck up the magic or something. The stump ain't magic. It's just a damn stump. An uncomfortable hard stump. My back's gonna ache for days. Look, man, I don't know the rules to all this shit, okay? You said to lay you there. Why are you listening to the ravens of a dying man? And he didn't say anything about bringing you inside, so I didn't. Next time you get shot three times and need me to drive your ass to your own personal North Pole pocket dimension, I'll remember to let you in at night, okay? He raised an eyebrow. Who is he? Nick. He said... Nick was here? Uh, yeah, and... You saw him with your own eyes? Yes, that's what I'm trying to tell you. He asked me to stay with you, to help you with the mission, and I accepted. Rudy sat down on the floor and stared off into space. What is it? I thought you'd be happy I decided to stick around. I haven't seen Nick since the night he walked into the woods and disappeared. Oh. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. I had no idea. He waved it away. Not your fault. I've just missed him is all. I mean, I know he's fine, but still. He was my best friend. He still is, I said, sitting down across from him. When you were in trouble, he was here, you know? He came to make sure you were okay. Rudy nodded. He look okay? Like everything was fine with him? Yeah, man, he looked good. Shiny white hair, big braided beard. Braids, huh? Pansy. <laughs> <laughs> we laughed together. It felt good to laugh after the past few days. Rudy slapped his thighs. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm starving. What say we get something to eat? Sounds good to me. I've been eating canned soup and jerky for three days. I wasn't sure if I left this place, I'd find my way back. 
He smiled. You're part of it now. You can always find your way back. Now, what are you in the mood for? I could go for some hash browns. You read my mind. Lead on, Blitzen. No, man. Just no. Donner? I sighed. Fine, but only on missions and when absolutely necessary. Donner means thunder. Does that help? Only slightly. Let's stop talking about it before I change my mind. And that's it. That's the end of the beginning, at least. I don't know what comes next, but whatever it is, we'll be ready. I've been teaching Rudy battle tactics, and now he's showing me some Santa magic. Nothing big yet, though. I can't look into people's hearts and tell if they're legitimately naughty or nice, but I can make my way out of the North Pole pocket dimension, and I can almost make exact change with the magic wallet. And I guess that's enough. For now. That was For Goodness Sake Part 3 by Ryan Harville. And as promised, he's got a free book for y'all. For Goodness Sake, a novella. All three parts bundled together and a badass cover. At a price even Jeff could love. Free. Just sign up for Ryan's mailing list and you'll get your free copy of For Goodness Sake, a novella. You can find the link up in the episode's description or simply visit www.ryanharvillewriting.com forward slash subscribe. Pop in your email and he'll send you a free book, no questions asked. A little about the author. Ryan Harville is a horror author from the Gulf Coast of Alabama. His new book, Red Rains Down, is available to pre-order now on Amazon. Although Ryan's beard and waistline might lead you to believe he is in fact Santa Claus, he categorically denies this. It is suspicious that you've never seen Ryan and Santa in the same room at the same time, or photographed together. But this is circumstantial evidence at best. Now please drop it before someone gets hurt. He's a veteran for goodness sake. See what I did there? And if you don't mind, I'd like to take a minute here to be a doting father. And just so everyone knows, the little girl Maria in the trailer with the other kidnapped girls was voice acted by none other than my baby girl, Cadence. She did a fantastic job and I'm so proud of her. A chip off the old block. And do old Drew Blood a favor, would you? Subscribe to his podcast wherever you do your listening and leave him a five-star review and a kind word, even if you're listening on YouTube. He needs soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and he appreciates it. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all the other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click Patrons in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at chillintalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to their entire audio archive, all ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all the latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with them each and every week. Oh, and you can find Drew Blood on Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes Twitter. 
The Drew Blood's Dark Tales podcast is accepting submissions, friend. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on the show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment. Ten bananas. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, at least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, friend, and have a few more for Christmas. You earned it. With this Christmas episode, I just want to wish everybody, all the listeners, all the fans, all the commenters, even the bad ones, to have a very happy holiday. And be safe out there, friends. The world is a dangerous place. And even more dangerous when you've been drinking all Christmas Eve with the in-laws and just want to take somebody out for fuck's sake. But don't do it. So may the wind be at your back, and may the road rise up to meet you. Grab Ryan's book. He's got us all by the balls here. We're waiting on Rough Beast Part 3. See y'all on New Year's Eve, friends. And go fuck yourselves. <laughs> Merry Christmas, y'all.